0: Please be seated. I appreciate that song. That's one that comes out of the Psalms, one of the Psalms. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at uh, some of the different Psalms as we have gone through there, and we've seen that in the Psalms we can find strength. Uh, In the Psalms we also find struggles. In the Psalms we find solitude. I love the Psalms because it's in there that you really see the entire scope of human emotion. Uh, It doesn't matter what you may be feeling at a particular time. David or one of the other psalmists felt that way as they were writing. And to me, at least, I can always find something that fits into what is going on in my life. Psalm chapter 13 begins with these words, How long, O Lord? A question often raised by God's people who were struggling with God's timetable, uh, struggling with understanding God's wisdom uh, and working in their lives and in the lives of others. Perhaps Noah asked that question as he was building the ark in the midst of a wicked generation. How long, O oh Lord, till you destroy it, till you bring judgment? Get Abraham certainly asked that. Okay, God, you promised me that I was going to have a son. You promised me that I was going to have descendants that were going to be more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And it's been, you know, 25 years and I'm old. How long? And we know that, in fact, Abraham and Sarah just weren't willing to wait on God. And tried to do things on their timetable. Gideon asked the same thing. How long do we have to submit to these heathen people? Even the disciples asked it. You remember after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead. And they're waiting and he's about to go up into heaven. And the disciples say what? Now, now are you going to set up your kingdom? It's a kind of a how long question because Jesus basically ignored them and said, no, no, no. Forget that question. Well, how long then? And in Revelation chapter 6, we even see the souls under the altar crying out to God, how long? How long until you bring judgment on the world? How long do you bring it all to an end? And, you know, over in Peter, he talks about the fact that, you know, people ask that question quite a lot. You know, how long or since the Lord hasn't come back now, he's not ever going to come back. And Peter says, remember, with the Lord, you know, a short time is a long time. So don't be getting all worried about how long. And here in this one chapter, in this one psalm, David asked the question several times. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Maybe you have asked this question as well. How long, O Lord, Until things get better. How long, O Lord, until I feel your presence? How long, O Lord, until you bring judgment on the wicked? How long, O Lord, until you return? This is a psalm of frustration. It is a psalm of confusion. It is a psalm exposing an inner turmoil. And I am grateful. That it is included in the Psalms that we have. Because I struggle. I have frustration. There are times in my life when I don't understand why. God has worked in a particular way or has not worked in a particular way. There are times when I ask myself that question. How long? And I think that it might do us some good. If from time to time we would share with one another. Our frustrations. For a couple reasons. One. So that we would know that we're not alone. Because how many of you out there. Have had frustrations, have had confusion, maybe even have been a little angry with God, but would never in a million years share that with somebody because you wouldn't want them to think less of you. You wouldn't want anybody to know because you feel like you are the only one. Everybody else out here has it all together. Every else out here, everybody else out here has perfect understanding. Nobody else in the church has ever struggled with understanding God's will. Well, we act like that sometimes. And I think that hurts us. But if we shared with one another, then it would help us to understand we're not in it alone. And then that would lead to helping one another. Because you see, my guess is those times in my life when I have felt that way, when I felt frustrated, when I felt confused by God. Some of you have been in that exact situation before. Or something close to it. And you could help me work through that. You could help me. You could show me. You could say, I didn't understand it either. It made no sense to me. I was angry and I was confused. But... 10 years later or 15 or 20 years later, I've come to understand. And you know what? I might not buy it. I might say something like, I don't want to wait 10 years. I don't want to wait 15 years. I want to understand it now. But knowing that you've been through it might help me go through it as well. As we look at this psalm, we see David looking in three directions, or at least that's how we're going to see it. Three directions that we might find ourselves looking at as well. First of all, we see a look inward, and that has to do with our struggles. Scholars believe that this psalm was written as David was fleeing and hiding from King Saul, who was looking to kill him. Now, you remember a couple of the other psalms that we looked back a few weeks ago, we thought probably had to do were written after David had become king and then his son Absalom had usurped the throne and David was fleeing from Absalom. But if you remember, David was anointed king very early on. Remember, King Saul had disobeyed God and kind of, you know, fell out of favor with God. And so God tells Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse... And they're anoint Jesse's son as king. And so Samuel does that and he goes. And you remember the oldest son comes first and he looks like, whew, that's what a king ought to look like. And Samuel's about ready to anoint him and God says no. And so they go through the whole thing until there were no sons left. And Samuel says, do you have none left? And Jesse says, well, yeah, you know, the run of the litter, he's out with the sheep. Surely that's not who's going to be king. And so David comes in and God says, this is the one. And he is anointed king over Israel. But you see, there's a problem. Saul is still the king. (laughs) Saul is still the king. And so David goes in and he actually becomes a servant of Saul. Works for Saul in the palace, plays the harp for Saul when Saul needs his heart, you know, soothed and and things like that. He becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And now Saul tries to kill him. Saul takes a spear and nearly pins him against the wall. And David has to flee. And now Saul has his whole army out searching for David. Saul is so paranoid. But with reason, you know, but he's paranoid and he wants to kill David. And David is now, you know, out fleeing for his wife. And I'm sure he's sitting there thinking to himself, what is going on? God, you anointed me king. I didn't ask for it. I was out minding my own business watching the sheep. And you picked me over all my bigger and older brothers. All I've done is serve you. I've tried to be nice to Saul, tried to be nice to Saul's son. I've tried to do whatever needed to be done, whatever was right. How long? How long? Until all of this comes to an end. How long do I have to flee for my life? How long is Saul gonna be chasing after me? It was a time of seeming uh, frustration and confusion. He'd been anointed king, but king still, but Saul still reigned. He finds himself on the run, feeling for, fleeing for his whole life, with the whole way to the throne pursuing him. There are a couple incidents that happened during this time. Which I know David had to find confusing because I find it confusing. Not that. But what I'm saying is, is, is if I find it confusing way back here, David going through it kind of had to find it confusing. Saul is trying to kill David. David has already been anointed king. He's not king, but he's been anointed king. He's still king. Saul is still king. Chasing him, trying to kill him. And one night, David corners Saul. In a cave. And he has the opportunity to kill him. And he doesn't. He just cuts off a corner of his robe and leaves. That's a little confusing to me. And it may not seem that confusing right then... But let's fast forward just a little bit to another incident almost exactly like that. David and his servant Abishai come upon Saul again. And Saul is sleeping. And right next to Saul is Saul's spear. And Abishai says to David, the Lord has presented you with this opportunity. Take the spear and thrust him through. And you know what? I'm with Abishai. I understand where he's coming from. I understand the confusion that David might have had. Have you ever been in that situation where you just didn't know what God's will was? You didn't know what God wanted you to do? Is there not a logical assumption to be made that if twice God has presented Saul into your hands, you have already been anointed king? God is giving you this very opportunity? Take it. Wow. I'd be confused. I'd be confused. Does that not sound logical? Does that not sound like something God would do? Here is your enemy. Here he is. I've delivered him into your hand. Finish him off, Abishai says. And David says, no. No. I can't do it. And I guess what David is thinking, and I I don't know for sure. Is it if God wants Saul dead. God will take care of it. But not by me. But couldn't you make the case? Well David. <laughs> he wants to use you. To do it. Confusion. Frustration. All this is going on in David's life. He doesn't understand what's happening and why it's happening. This is not how David had envisioned his life. This is not how he envisioned God's plan. I guess David kind of thought that after he'd been anointed king, he was just going to kind of hang around. And when Saul ultimately met his demise, then he would kind of step into that role. He certainly, I don't think, envisioned the fact that Saul was going to be so paranoid and vengeful against him. That he was going to send his entire army out to kill him. Not what David planned on. Many times in, the, in our lives, we might find ourselves in a similar situation. You know, when we come to God, we come with expectations. We come with a vision of how it will be once we start to walk with him. And when things don't go as planned, or at least not as we planned, we struggle, we question, we become frustrated. Notice what David says, and I love this, and we've looked at this before, but I love it when he says, look on me and answer, oh my God. Is that not something that a parent says to a child? Look at me when I'm talking to you. Look at me. Oftentimes when I'm out with the kids or whatever, you know, you know, they don't pay attention a whole lot. Not these here. It's all the rest of them. Uh, Well, I know these here too. And so like we're on the bus or whatever and we're going to get off and I need to make a really important announcement. You know, all my announcements are important. But anyway, it's a really important announcement. I have, I'll tell them I, I want to see everybody's eyeballs right here. Right here. I want to see two eyeballs, everybody, right here. looking at me. Okay? Isn't that kind of what David is saying to God? Look on me. Look at me. Any of you ever had to actually maybe grab the chin of your child? Are you listening to me? Are you looking at me when I'm talking to you? Now, when we're talking about our kids, or our grandkids, we ain't got a problem with that, right? When we're talking about God, ooh, ooh, you know, there's a line, right? Is David not right up on that line? I mean, in some of your minds, and in my mind even, he has stepped across that line. Look at me, Lord, I am talking to you. Look at my situation. Do you see me? Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you get what is happening in my life? He's begging God to see a situation and intervene. He wants God to recognize what's going on in his life. And when we look only inward, we can become discouraged and frustrated and angry. When we can only see what's happening to ourselves and only see it from our perspective, that's when the frustration and the confusion steps in. But David also looked outward, and he saw his enemies. David is being pursued by enemies. They want him dead. He senses perhaps even, go ahead, Johnny. He senses perhaps that even the end is near. You know, talk about confusion. This is Saul and the entire army. Does David really think he's going to be able to elude and escape them forever? Do you not think there's a part of him that thinks, or maybe, at least I would, would think, you know, I'm tired. Eventually, they're going to get me. And my enemies are going to win. Lord, I know you said I was going to be king. But I don't see how that's going to happen. Sound familiar? Abraham? Lord? I know you said I was going to have a son. But I don't see how that's going to happen. So I'm going to do things my own way. How many times in our lives maybe have we said, Lord, I know you promised this, but it's not happening. So I'm going to do this or that. He's looking for clarity and understanding. He says to God, give light to my eyes. This is often a theme within the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? I'm glad we don't struggle with that today. I'm glad that nobody in here struggles with the idea of why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. we all do i think from time to time it just doesn't seem fair it just doesn't seem right god you have said that we will overcome our enemies you have said that we will we are we are victors already we are conquerors more than conquerors in jesus christ who gives us strength we have an enemy and we ask ourselves, why is all this happening to me? Where is the protection of God? Where is his sh- the shield that He's promised? We have an enemy, and that enemy threatens us, but listen, that enemy is not atheism. That enemy is not liberalism, that enemy is not humanism. that enemy is not materialism. That enemy is not Islam. The enemy is Satan. It is Satan that uses all these other things against us, but our enemy is Satan, as he said, who is roaring, roaming around, seeking that whom he may devour. This is free. It doesn't cost you anything, except maybe a few minutes. How many saw the, the thing that was on Facebook? Were the two antelope? button heads they were interlocked some of you did some of you didn't so I'll tell you it says this is what happens when we fight amongst ourselves or something along that line and you see these two antelope and they're you know button heads and they've got their horns locked and from way way back in the distance you see the lion coming through the field and the lion is getting faster and faster and faster And the two gazelles or antelope, well, I don't know what I said the first time, but the two aminals were sitting there so into fighting one another and locking horns with each other that they never saw the lion coming until it pounced and devoured one of them. We have an enemy, but we got to make sure that we identify the enemy. And that enemy is Satan. He uses people. He uses nations. He uses situations to attack us. He tries to isolate us and confuse us. And use our relationship with God against us. What? How can Satan use our relationship with God against us? To Eve, he said, did God really say? Not to eat of that fruit. But God promised you this and this and this. So if he hasn't given it to you, maybe there is no God. Or maybe he doesn't love you. Or maybe he's not that powerful. And so he uses our relationship against us. Satan is powerful, but not all powerful. Satan is cunning, but not all-knowing. And at times we may find him overpowering or credible, but we need to rely on God. And that leads to the third look, and it is a look upward, and it is the idea of praise. Many times we have seen, I remember when we were going through the Old Testament, I remember Chuck would sit here, and we would go through, and 99 times out of 100 in the Old Testament, when the word but occurs, it's not a good thing. Especially when we're talking about the kings, remember that? And -and so-and-so did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he did not tear down the high places, or he did not do that, or whatever the case may be. Here, here the but is good. But I trust, verse 5, in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. God is, and God loves me, right? We have talked about that over and over and over and over again. And here we see it again in the life of David. How long, O Lord? I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm angry. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Are you listening to me? But I will trust in your unfailing love. I will sing praises to you for I know that the Lord has been good to me. In our times of frustration and confusion, we need to draw even closer to God, not push him away as we have a tendency to do. Peace and understanding come from a close relationship through prayer and study and fellowship and worship. It helps us to understand that the confusion and the frustrated frustration is rooted in our limited understanding. When I am confused, when I am frustrated, if I can remember that God is and God loves me, that he's good to me, then I will know that the problem is with me. The problem is my understanding. Not God's power. Not God's love. Not God's will. I don't understand. But I trust God. And I will follow Him. And He loves me recognizing God as the Almighty, praising Him as our Savior, and singing that God has been good to us, can see us through the most difficult times in our lives. Two quick things that we take from this psalm. One is, I believe, God understands our frustrations. God understands that. He gets it because he knows we're not god he knows we're human he knows we can't understand everything about him and about his will now within our frustration he wants us to have faith in our frustration he wants us to have, to, to trust him in our frustration he wants us to remember that he loves us and he cares for us but he understands that we will be frustrated From time to time. Yeah. God didn't say rip that one out. No we're not doing 13. We're going to go straight from 12 to 14. In the Psalms. We're not going to do a 13. I don't like that one. No. He showed the frustration. Because I think he understands that we are frustrated. And secondly in our frustrations we turn to God. Turn to God. Not away from God. Yes, there will be times, I think, in all of our lives when we ask, how long? How long? But we will still praise and we will still sing because the Lord has been good to us. If you're here this morning with some way we can help or encourage you, we encourage you now as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com, or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9:30 a.m. for Bible class and 10:30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6:30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.